Genetic gain contributes roughly $300 million extra to the dairy sector every year. Yet it's hard for the average farmer to tangibly see the benefit of genetic gain in their herd from one season to the next. You might see an improvement in farm performance, but is that the result of better weather, better farm management, better genetics, or all of the above? So how can you be confident that genetic gain and the breeding worth index actually work and are worth investing your time and money into? What's NZAEL, the organisation responsible for the National Breeding Objective, doing to strengthen the Breeding Worth Index? Our guest today is Bruce Thorold, a Dairy NZ strategy and investment leader and someone who's been on this podcast a few times now, including in our most recent episode. Bruce will talk about a fascinating piece of research called the Holstein Friesian Strain Trial. He'll also discuss the value of genomics and high quality data, strengthening the fertility breeding worth, keeping up with our overseas competitors, and more. My name is Ben Chapman-Smith. Welcome to Talking Dairy, episode 49. Bruce Thorold, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast again. Great to have you here. Ben, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and, and talk to farmers. Good stuff. Let's get this going by just setting you know, a bit of context. Why are we doing this podcast, Bruce? We're doing this podcast, Ben, to talk about genetic gain and confidence. Confidence? So confidence is really important. Um, we talk about $300 million a year you know, as being the value that genetic gain in our dairy herd is contributing to the sector. But we also know that it's really hard to see that. So year by year, how do I know as a farmer that uh, my farm performance is better because of genetics or because of the season or or because I've become a better farmer? Uh, How do I know that the heifers coming back this year are genuinely uh, better than the ones last year? I mean, this year they're going to be fatter and in better condition because it's rained in the North Island, but that's not genetic gain, that's that's management. So um, if we want... Everybody who participates in genetic gain, the, the, the breeding companies, farmers, paying for the services, the bull breeders, then we, we all need to have confidence that genetic gain works, knowing that year by year it's really hard to see it on farm. Mm, sure. What is genetic gain? How do farmers achieve it? And why is it important to them? So, so NZAL is responsible for the national breeding objective and for the breeding worth index. And that's our goal for genetic gain, which effectively is to have cows that are more profitable on farm. And breeding worth is the way that we measure that. So genetic gain is observed by those cows getting better. So the cows that we farm today are more profitable than the cows we used to farm 20 years ago. So if a farmer sees an improvement in their farm efficiency and profitability in one season, how do they know that's from them being a better farmer or from their cows being better? They can't know, Ben. That's the whole point. So in order to give farmers confidence that genetic gain is really delivering value, you know, making their cows uh, more efficient, more productive, more profitable, we have to find different ways to test that than just looking at performance of individual cows. Hmm. So how can farmers trust that the science of animal evaluation works to deliver genetic gain? Well, there's, there's a number of ways they can do that, um, and, and, and herd records providers and others have some you know, metrics and analysis which track the performance of cows over time. Uh, Dairy NZ does the same thing. But the gold standard 
of testing genetic gain is to do well-structured experiments that contrast the performance of today's cows with the performance of cows that were being farmed 20 years ago. That, that is the gold standard. And when we do that, every time we recreate these herds of the past and the present or low and high genetic merit, we see really interesting things, some of which totally validate our confidence in, in the index and some of which challenge us to do better. Mm. So when's the last time a piece of work like that was done? So, so the last time we did a comprehensive uh, investigation of the index was in the early 2000s. And uh, this is kind of a personal story for me because when I came to Dexel, it was then, from Ag Research, I landed right in the middle of what was called the Holstein Friesian Strain Trial. Uh, and this trial was set up uh, originally driven by the likes of Eric Culver and John Penno and, and Gwyn Verkirk from um, uh, Dexel, it was at the time. And they were concerned in, in hearing from farmers that the Holstein animals that were coming in to the New Zealand Frisian population at the time weren't performing as their index suggested they should. Dairy and Z, we've been in this genetic space for a long time. We're not genetics researchers, but we're farm systems researchers and physiologists. And all my observation is that that's when they get, we get our best results, when we bring the genetics together you know, with, with the farm systems people. So, uh, so they lobbied for this work to be funded. Um, LIC came on board with that, along with the Dairy Board at the time, and then Dairy Insight. And uh, yeah, when I turned up here in 2001, uh, that project was ready to go. So it's been um, a you know, key part of my experience here at Dairy NZ. So, so let me describe what was in that experiment. So what we did was we recreated the Holstein cows of the 1970s. We pulled semen out of storage banks at LIC and mated them to cows of the national herd. We created a herd of the current, you know, late 90s New Zealand cows, and we created a herd of overseas-based Holstein Frisian cows. You know, size that it had, um, you know, daughters already born in New Zealand, so it wasn't a straight import, but it, but it was uh, animals of that type. And we ran that from uh, from heifers, you know, from calves through to mature age cows. I talked before about you know, what are the things that we came out of that we were really happy with and, and what are the challenges. Mm. So Bruce, talk to us about what you found from that trial. What are the, what are the key findings? So I'll talk about, first of all about the things that we were really happy with that increased our confidence. So what we saw was that the 1990s cows, just as the BW index predicted, they were higher producing and they were more profitable. You needed fewer, more production per cow, and you needed fewer cows to um, to harvest all your feed. So that was a really strong endorsement of the profit side of, of the index. And but the challenges came on the other side of the index. So what we saw was that these modern cows were bigger. So really important that live weight by then was in the breeding worth index. But they also lost a lot more condition after calving. Another half a unit of condition. Those cows stripped off them. They were bigger, so um, they had a higher maintenance requirement, and they were harder to get back and calf. So as we'd driven performance up, we'd got bigger cows that lost more condition and were harder to get back and calf. All those things need to be in the index to accurately represent the the costs and benefits of, of farming different cows. And so the lessons that came out of that strain trial were that we needed to bring body condition score into the index. We needed to do a much better job of reproduction and fertility, the breeding values for that, and we needed accurate data on live weight. 
So that trial showed that the genetic gain from the 70s to the 90s, like there'd been a marked change. There'd been an improvement. What we found, Ben, was that the 1990s cows were $600 a hectare more profitable than the 1970s cows. That's in the context of farm profitability somewhere between two and a half and three thousand dollars. So a huge chunk of the profitability from those farm systems was driven by the genetic gain of, of the last 25 years. So a hugely important and a huge confidence boost because that was actually more than the breeding worth differences between those animals would have suggested. So fantastic confidence that we were breeding in the right direction. So what would happen if we did a trial now? Comparing a 1990 cow with a 2020 cow? If you're going to make me predict the answer to that question, I think we would see a similar gain in profitability. If I look at the way in which per cow performance has lifted across the national herd, that's come about by a mixture of genetics and feeding and management. But all the evidence here and around the world is that when we measure performance, measure production well, and we breed for it, then that's what we get. So you've talked about production. What about fertility? So being fertility has been a real hot topic with me ever since we did the strain trial. What we saw in the strain trial was that the breeding values for fertility were not very different between the strains, but the performance in terms of actual reproductive performance was much bigger. So ever since then, we've been on a mission here to improve fertility breeding values because when we go and look at the, the Pillars trial, which we ran only five or six years ago, when we bred a high fertility BV herd and a low fertility BV herd, and we saw the same result. We saw a big gap between the physical performance of those cows, bigger than we would have expected from their breeding values. So we're on a mission to fix that, and, and there's several steps in, in that. So, so Ben, those steps involve two things. That the first and most critical is better data collection on farm. We know that the data on reproductive performance, including dated pregnancy diagnosis and uh, interventions like cedars or once-a-day milking, uh, it's, some of it's being recorded on farm, some of it's being recorded in databases, but it's not getting into breeding worth yet. So we're on a mission to get better data and, and get it into the system. And then we're on a mission to use that data to make a better prediction of the BV. So... Just last week, we released an update where we disentangled gestation length from fertility. Uh, what's coming out later this year is a further improvement to the fertility breeding value when we look at conception date, and that allows us to use dated PD data to get earlier at when, uh, when cows are conceiving and, and uh, which ones are more fertile. Down the track, and this is part of the whole info herds thinking that we're thinking about in terms of how we bring genomics into the national sector, We've got to be collecting that data on the interventions, on the cedar treatment and the once a day and the separate mobs and the preferential feeding that goes on inside farmers' herds. Because if you think about it, which are the animals most likely to get preferential treatment? Well, they're the animals who are most likely to be having trouble cycling and trouble getting back in calf. So if we're not recording that, then we've got cows that should be getting a big cross next to them for not getting back in calf are being elevated to the same performance as the cows that are getting back in calf without help. We've got to know that because until we untangle that, we're going to keep on, in my view, underestimating the impact of genetics on fertility. So we need more data. We need better data, better data and more data. Everything in genetic gain 
runs off high quality data. If you've got poor quality data, then you miss important uh, aspects of cow performance, which are important to farmers and important to profit. And that's what we've learned from these trials. You know, we when we assemble these cows together, we find a lot of things to be confident in, but we always find things we didn't expect. And the things that we didn't expect are usually places where we haven't been collecting the right data or accurate enough data. You know, on body condition score loss in those 1990s cows and the, Hol- and the, and the Holstein cows, on fertility and on live weight, key areas for improvement. Mm. So going back to that trial that you talked about, are there any plans to replicate that trial? Well, Ben, um, the observant listener will have realised that it's a generation since we last did that trial. It's almost 25 years. So right now there is no, no plan to do that. It's on our list of things that would be good to do at some point. As I said before, just recently we've, we've done a similar trial which just focused on the one trait, on the fertility trait. And again, you know, we learned a lot out of that, which is going to help make uh, breeding worth better. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good point. When, uh, when is the right time to do another version of this, to check in, to check in that uh, the cows we think we're breeding for are actually the cows we're getting. But the point is that even though that research was done 20 years ago, the results of it remain just as valid now. I think the results from then should give us a lot of confidence that the things that we can measure well, we can breed for really well. And production is clearly something we have a really good handle on. I think the message out of all the work is that there are areas that are important to farmers under genetic control, you know, fertility and longevity and condition score, which we don't have as good a data on. And that's our next mission. Our next mission is to improve the data so we make better predictions of the things we're already working on. Mm. Just continuing that theme of looking to the future, what does the future of animal evaluation look like? The future of animal evaluation is, is really exciting. You know, there's a range of new techniques and genomics, and genomic selection is clearly the, the kind of leading candidate for that, that are going to help us drive genetic gain in the future. But there's a whole kind of combination of these technologies coming together. So genomic selection, particularly on the bull side, but then also genomic testing of, of heifers to make sure we're bringing the, uh, the elite heifers into the herd. Uh, you combine that with sex semen, which allows us to mate our best cows to our best bulls with a high probability of getting female progeny, which then encourages us to make more use of heifer mating. You know, so there's a range of technologies which farmers have access to, which are going to allow us to really accelerate genetic gain. But the important point around genomics is that you know, genomics uh, is not as precise as using daughter-proven bulls. So there's, uh, there's a degree of trade-off. You know, we, we can go faster, but any individual bull or any individual cow, we don't have the same level of confidence as we do with daughter-proven bulls. So confidence is really important. You know, we need to be using better data, accelerating breeding, and then checking in to make sure we're, we're going where we think we're going. Bruce, can you just give a bit of a definition of genomics? Genomic selection is when we use an animal's DNA to predict its performance or its daughter's performance uh, years in advance of actually being able to measure that performance. And we do that by taking a DNA sample from an animal and comparing it to what we call a reference population. So all genomics has a huge reliance on physical data and physical data of animals that are genotyped. So we build up this correlation between genotypes and physical performance in the animals we're already measuring, and we use that correlation to predict the performance of 
animals that are four days old uh, over their lifetime. So that allows us to accelerate generation interval, allows us to accelerate genetic gain, but we have to do that in a way which we are confident is going to send us in the right direction. Mm. So how do we have confidence in the genomics era that we are achieving the right genetic gain? Uh, I think it's actually it's more challenging. So what we need to be doing is pulling all the data together you know, so that we've got the best possible database, the best possible reference population of genotypes and phenotypes to make those predictions. So that gives us strong predictions. We then need to be validating the statistical models you know, against all the data we've got so we, so we build confidence. And then we've got to be tracking performance in a really transparent uh, and independent way, which is a key role of NZAL in the future, in my view. Uh, so tracking the performance of the predictions, seeing uh, are they on track or off track? What do we learn from that? How do we, do we need better data? Do we need to update our statistical methods? Do we need new approaches that allow for, you know, in New Zealand, a crossbred population where the international research may not help us? So, you know, continuous improvement as it always has been, you know, is going to be an, an important part of, of genomics in the future. Where are we at with genomics, you know, the New Zealand dairy sector compared to other countries? So right now, the New Zealand dairy sector is making less use of genomics in, in, in young bulls than many other countries that we compete with. Because uh, at, at, at its heart, genetics is competitive advantage internationally. If we're not uh, up with world's best practice and driving genetic gain at the same rate as our competitors – then that profit margin we talked about is going to get eroded. Our costs of production don't keep up with the world. Uh, our animal performance in terms of greenhouse gas intensity around emissions or reproductive performance don't keep up. And so we've really got to drive that hard. Mm. So just lastly, it'd be great to just finish on a practical note for farmers. What can they do to make sure they get the most out of animal evaluation to achieve genetic gain on their farms? I think the best thing that farmers can do is to be very conscious of the decisions they're making around genetic gain. You know, give yourselves confidence that it's really important to, to, to drive genetic gain, and that's going to show up in the performance of your farm and ultimately the value of your cows. And, and then get some good advice, because this is a complicated field. There are trade-offs between speed and certainty, and so really um, you know, having people you trust, you know, giving you good advice on that, and then pay for quality. You know, if, if we look at what we're seeing here, you know, historically, there's no doubt in my mind that breeding worth index is suited to the New Zealand farm systems and breeds us the cattle that, that we want. So have confidence you're going to get there and invest, you know, in, in your herd, invest in data collection, invest in genotyping your animals, invest in high genetic merit bulls. Excellent. Thank you, Bruce. Ben, you're welcome. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms. Catch you next time.